And this is your girl, Ryan. And this is the Conscious Sedation Podcast. Yeah, boy. (laughs) Surely people have missed us. I miss being on. It feels good to be back. But the break is also refreshing. Yeah. Maybe we could talk a little bit about what brought on the break. And for me, my life was like crazy busy the past couple of weeks between you know cmb and training and just life period like i was tapped and so the nights that we had the mutual text like girl we on off tonight this was me on the other end (laughs) making a face we off oh okay cool yeah i wasn't feeling well either but I think it was a rest well needed and well deserved and um you know I'm here for the ministry you here for the what the nap ministry (laughs) yes you like (laughs) taking taking a rest is is needed Mm -hmm. and yeah I encourage everybody to follow the nap ministry on social media yeah I love her page um me too I think you're the one who sent it to me I think oh did I I think so. Yeah. But maybe we could talk about that too. How this, you know, grind, 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 go get it, go get it. Hustle mode. No. For the birds. And Rest for- is my resistance. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yes. Right. There, We actually have an inbox report about that. We have a question about sleep and how important it is and, you know, that kind of thing. So, Yeah. yeah. Well, the last shift we were on with Mr. Ryan talking about fatal attraction numbers. Mr. Ryan. (laughs) Mr. Ryan was talking about fatal attraction numbers and giving out information about who might, you know, cause you some harm. Hey. Your Facebook friends list. (laughs) Oh, yes. From your Facebook friends list. Yeah. Yeah. Which is less interesting to me than people who are actively in my life. Because a lot of people who I'm Facebook friends with are not people who I deal with on a day-to-day basis, you know? Some people I've never even met in real life. I wonder if I have any of those. I don't know. I don't think I do. I feel like I'd be like, "Mm, no, or they they just be sitting in the pending section. Yeah, so because of the birth and breastfeeding work that I do, a lot of people know my name and so will add me as a friend or because of me trying to grow and stretch. I think I talked about this when we first started our podcast about um, the importance and the value of networking. Mm -hmm. Um, I sometimes will do that too for people who um, maybe are in my grad school program. I've never seen them before, but we are in class together. Um, So I may add them as a friend because I recognize they're going to eventually be another black midwife, (laughs) you know, Mm -hmm. with boots on the ground. And so Mm -hmm. I may add them as a friend. So I do have... um, people on my friends list who I've never met I used to be kind of like you like super gatekeepy super like who who is you bruh <laughs> like you can yeah but I'm a little bit more open now um but since I've become a lot more open with my social media um accounts I also am not as liberal with my children on there I hardly ever post my children I (laughs) hardly ever say their names Mm -hmm. I mean all that stuff like I don't post on their birthdays and stuff I'm doing none of that no more and Mm -hmm. if I do 
I um, really privatize that post. I make it, you know, really private to where it's only certain people can see it. I definitely do have groupings of acquaintances, friends, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, the privacy on mine is usually pretty tight. So mm-hmm. I, I haven't looked at it from a non-friend view yet. Yeah. Or I haven't looked in a long time. But yeah, I'm like you. I very rarely say my baby's name. I mean, but then again, I'd be like, if I don't know you, nope. And then I'd be real gatekeepy, like you said. <laughs> yeah. Black people, <laughs> these non-blacks and some of these blacks. Yeah. <laughs> I'd be like, you know what? You're not my type of person. I an entire I struggle. What'd you say? <laughs> I said an entire struggle. Yeah. And then I don't want to be exposed to, you know what I'm saying? I don't want you tagging me in nothing traumatic. I don't want you reposting nothing traumatic. Like, you know, years ago, Facebook was full of fight videos. And you know what I'm saying? Just <laughs> years like, ago, you just changed your timeline, girl. It still is. <laughs> Oh, they still out here. Yeah, what? people still out here on yeah. the time foolery. No, then I have really curated my social space. So I don't even see any of that stuff. But yeah. So yeah, welcome back. It feels good to be back. Tonight we're going to be talking about um, breast cancer and breast cancer awareness. It is October. We yes. are speaking this in right under the deadline. Under right the wire. Change. Yes, right under the change of the month and season um, to be speaking about this topic. Not that it's not relevant year round, but you know it's important to kind of hit those heavy topics or buzzwords at the most relevant time. Um, for people to listen and when their ears are kind of tuned to what's current and what's happening. So we'll be talking about breast cancer awareness um, and what that looks like in the Black community. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns, feel free to hit us up on the live. Um, If you want to contact us later, have any questions about anything for the future, any um, thoughts, ideas about future topics, please let us know. We can be contacted at getsedated705 at gmail.com or you can, you know, slide up in our DMs. Yes, <laughs> it goes down. Yeah, I thought we got Mr. Ryan on talking about uh, fatal attraction on um, people and all of that kind of stuff. Yes. Relationships, our last shift. So yeah, um, follow us on Insta at Conscious underscore Sedation. Same thing on Twitter. And then on Facebook, you can just search Conscious Sedation Podcast and we'll pop right up. Yes, ma'am. Yeah, let's get into our mindful moment. Would you like to go first? Yes. I am mindful. It's so funny. I wonder if gratitude is like a thing that happens um, incrementally as you get older. (laughs) Because I feel like... The older I get, the more just grateful and mindful I am about even the smallest things, you know, in my life. But this week, um, I had to kind of like drill down, like I'm kind of thankful for a lot of stuff. And I don't want to always be thankful for the same things. (laughs) I go to therapy on Tuesdays. So I seem to always be mindful of therapy (laughs) or like things that are, are like, you know, about therapy or surrounding that. So I was like, let's let's not do that. We have kind of talked about that quite a bit in the recent months. So today I am mindful of 
being in tune with my children Mm. and the people around me, right? People that I love. And so I feel like this particular um, story is about my daughter, but I also find that I can be very much in tune with people that I love so much. So like, you know, when something's wrong with your, Mm. your friends, right. Or your family, Mm. I can remember doing that to my mother, you know, when she was here, I could see it on her face and I'm just mindful of that. And I'm mindful of people who also love me, who can read me that way too, because sometimes we walk around and we're trying to handle stuff. We're trying to deal with stuff. We're thinking about stuff, even if it's not terrible things, it could just be you're busy or you're, you know, thinking you're forward thinking, you're thinking about the future, planning for that. Um, but a lot of times you need somebody to, to see, see you and, and take a minute, be able to, to take a minute with you and, and hold space for you. So I was able to do that with one of my daughters this week. I recognize that she just didn't, she just seemed sad to me. She seemed heavy. She seemed sad. And, um, I was able to kind of hold space for her and I could tell that, um, it mattered. Mm-hmm. And it, it mattered that I even saw her and that I took the time to, to check in. Because uh, a lot of times we're so busy. We're busy, we're moving around. And, you know, we, like we talked about before, the whole parent um, relationship thing, we're talking about parents. A lot of times we think that children are just, they just kids. They just, they'll get over it. They'll be fine. And we need to check in with them because their emotional wellness matters. It matters if they're happy. It matters if they feel safe. It matters if they, you know, feel loved and accepted, even in their own home, that, that stuff matters. Actually, it matters more than if they feel accepted and loved outside the home. So I'm mindful of that today. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a big deal. <clears throat> it's funny because I was just talking to our sitter. She came over this morning. I'm mindful of her, <laughs> for one. Um, but I was talking to her about how me doing the Mind Body Medicine's um, a group last weekend we did a forgiveness meditation and the meditation the start of it is like you know picture yourself sitting in a chair and then someone sitting across from you who you feel like wronged you either intentionally or not you know and then you do this whole thing like I forgive you <clears throat> and then the second thing the second person is somebody who you may be harmed intentionally or unintentionally and you ask for forgiveness and then the third person is yourself and then the fourth you know person being or whatever is like picture yourself um kind of giving forgiveness to anybody in the world who needs to be forgiven Hmm. and um I talked about that to her because the first person was my dad um and I feel like I have forgiven him you know, many, many times over the years, but there's always this added layer of forgiveness or just awareness in me about him and how mm-hmm. we are similar um, and how there are still things that I need to heal from as far as our relationship or lack thereof. And then the second person was my mom, you know, mm-hmm. somebody who I asked forgiveness from. And I, I feel like it was because I... Um, put her on this pedestal but I feel like at the same time she fell victim to like that strong black woman thing and you know when we were growing up it was always a never let them see you sweat (laughs) kind of thing and so I um, pictured her 
just being someone who was strong all the time and never made mistakes and really superhuman. And that's like unreasonable of me to require from her, you know? And so I was just like, I pictured myself asking her for forgiveness in ways that I maybe was disappointed in her for just being human. Cause that's just not fair. But um, in the same moment, very conscious of how I move through, you know, parenting and motherhood and what this looks like to model for my daughter um, and show her that it's okay to be vulnerable, that it's okay to have moments where you're sad or, you know what I'm saying? Just, that's just life and that's what it is and um, give her a better picture of how to respond to that. So I think that's beautiful that you noticed that about your daughter and was able to hold space for her and that you're even investing in yourself by going to therapy and, you know, thumbing through your own shit and <laughs> figuring that out and what that looks like because they do deserve the best version of you um, just as much as you deserve putting yes. you know, your best self out into the world. Um, so I'm mindful of my sitter and the talks that we have because she's young and you know, I just, I don't know. I just, I enjoy talking to her. Um, and I think she enjoys talking to me too, but I'm grateful for her. I told her today, I'm like, you are such a godsend. And she was like, really? And I'm like, yeah. She was like, I was just thinking, I hope you don't mind. And sometimes I'm late. I'm like, girl, I build it in that time. I know you're going to be late. <laughs> so, so it's okay. You know, I really don't schedule anything like close to the time that she's supposed to be here. So I ain't rushing it because that puts me in a crazy space. Um, but I'm mindful of her. And then I'm mindful of my honey. He celebrated his 41st birthday on Sunday. Um, and I just can't say enough how grateful I am for him and the way that he loves me. Um, but not just that, like the love is like, okay, that's cool. But like, he cares for me you know, like the way he cares for me, you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Just simple things. Like when we went to dinner, my um, tire pressure light came on. And so before we went out on Sunday, I was like, oh, I forgot to tell you, um, my back left tire is low. And he's like, you want me to pump that up for you? I was like, yeah. So he pumped it up. And as we were riding, it didn't go off. And I said, you know, I've noticed that once one goes low, it needs to be inflated. Like it always triggers another one <laughs> that might be Yes, because you fill that one up. And then the car be like, hold it. <laughs> uh, actually, girl. Yeah. <laughs> and so it happened, you know, whatever. And then today when I was like going to the grocery store by myself, I noticed the light was off. And I know that was because he took the time, you know, and he remembered to, oh, let me make sure that her tires together. Let me, you know, put some gas in her car and just, just really, really simple things. Yesterday mm -hmm. I had a whole afternoon nap. He came home early from work and, or he chose not to work yesterday. But anyway, he came home like maybe around three. I, I was like, uh, you gotta run some errands. Can you take your baby with you? <laughs> you know, if it ain't gonna be like out in the world like that. Mm -hmm. And he's like, actually, I didn't even, I don't even think I said that to him, but he was like, you need her to go with me? And I was like, yes. <laughs> and when they left, like, I came straight upstairs. I laid down and I must have slept until probably 7.30 in the evening. Oh, wow. Good for you. I, like, I just, I needed that. 
I needed that sleep and I um, don't take him for granted in that knowing that that would not even be possible if he wasn't the type of guy that he was and if he didn't you know care for us as a family the way that he does so I'm mindful of that that is awesome I'm mindful of that too because I know that I know all the frogs you had to kiss. <laughs> I had to kiss them. Lord. <laughs> I had to kiss them. And so I am super mindful of that too. I'm very happy for you. Mm-hmm. Yes, he is really, really good to me. I always tell him he's the unicorn. And, you know, I always thought that guys like him just didn't exist, you know, and probably be hard pressed to find another one like him but you know he's he deserves <laughs> to have yeah me. girl so yeah. like the old school say hang on to that man good girl <laughs> <laughs> you better you better hang on to that good man girl <laughs> <laughs> oh that is so funny okay yeah not that hard about that but it was funny it, it's hilarious <laughs> Because it's true, Because <laughs> it's true. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But yeah. Okay. So that was our mindful moment. Um, do you want to do this inbox report real quick? It's kind of yeah. Like, okay. I, mm-hmm. Okay. The inbox report is related to our previous shifts where we talked about relationships. <clears throat> and the question is family dynamics. How should one determine the extent of relationships within ex- extended family members? Once boundaries are in place, how do you maintain them or finding peace and cutting ties for habitual line crossers? Line crossers. Mm-hmm. I heard habitual and lie. I thought we were talking about habitual liars, habitual line crossers. For extended family. So we're talking about like maybe a mother-in-law or cousins or how extended are we talking i don't have that much um, information yes um i can't let me go back because i actually asked for clarification about this okay so the first message was um she talked about amazon prime's black box and i have you seen that did Mm -hmm. you Okay, so there was a movie on um, Amazon Prime, it may still be there, called Black Box, where um, Felicia Rashad is like the antagonist of the movie, and this, there's a guy who gets into, I want to say a car accident or something like that, and um, his brain, he he goes into like a coma or something, and but when he comes back, he's very, very forgetful, totally different person whatever and his daughter is like constantly having to remind him and it turns out that Felicia Rashad transposed her dead son's memory and essence like into his brain to bring him back to life okay yeah because she had this you know very codependent relationship with her son and she wanted her son back and she basically was just looking for a body for him to be a part of okay but her son <laughs> was abusive to his wife and child. And she just chose not to see that. And so this kind of references that it said um, it centered around the psyche and subconscious while having a focus on family dynamics. The she said the fake sociologist in me sees the codependency, toxicity, and seeing oneself and others 
as they truly are and not what we make them throughout the movie. So that was part of the reference. And she said a shift or two ago, Miss Jessica and Mr. Ryan discussed a bit about family and what it takes to face trauma and heal to raise our children the way we see fit with love and without corporal punishment. What about family relationships and relationships when they aren't working, like setting boundaries? And so that's when I was like, okay, say more about what you're asking. Mm -hmm. and she talked about extended families and what do you do in a situation where you have you know, habitual line steppers, and this is a family relationship, because we did talk about, mm -hmm. um, I forget the terminology that Mr. Ryan used about letting go of relationships that weren't serving you, you know what I'm saying? So that's I'm, what she was asking. How I, you determine the extent of relationships within extended family members? I stand by releasing any relationship or relative <laughs> that habitual bound crossers like line crossers they they habitually cross your boundaries they habitually um say f your boundaries like i can't i don't care who you are my mother my father my blood sister my who, who whomever you may be <laughs> relationships have to be mutually beneficial it is not if you, and so if you're consistently continually crossing my boundaries now if you're crossing my boundaries and I haven't told you that this is a boundary then it's not fair for me to think that you're to say that you're crossing my boundaries because I have not disclosed or conveyed to you that I have a, this is a boundary for me so that's the first step I think that we all need to do a better job of communicating what our boundaries are, no matter who the person is, if this is a boundary for you, it's a boundary for you. And you have to express that to people because people don't know what your boundaries are. They only know what their boundaries are. And so if, if our boundaries are not the same, which for a lot of people, they aren't because we're all individuals, then I will never know that that's a boundary for you. So we as, as people have to, to, to say, this is a boundary. Now, if after you say this is a boundary and people cross the boundary, I'm like, kind of like you tell them like, hey, back up. <laughs> that, that's the boundary for me. But if, it, if it's habitual, after you've expressed that this is a boundary and they continue to cross your boundaries, cross those lines, then I think it's time to remove yourself from, from the relationship, I think, because it's no longer mutually beneficial. And again, I don't care who it is. And there's no... I don't care like the whole like you know Tasha and I you and I have talked about this before like the whole like well that's your mama mm -hmm. or that's your daddy mm -hmm. so <laughs> like you said you told me this before and I'll never forget it you told me you know people will always be like you only get one mama what's gonna happen if something happened to her well she only get one of me too mm -hmm. my daddy only got one of me it's only one of me out here in these streets <laughs> mm -hmm. so it doesn't matter who it is and if they don't value having me in their life enough to respect my boundaries, however ridiculous my boundary may seem to them, then that means they don't value me enough to have me in their life. That's how I feel. I don't mm -hmm. care who it is. Yeah, I mean, I agree with everything you said. Um, I just want to add that I think or I believe that this situation is never that simple or cut and dry, right? I feel like there's always steps 
to it. So you have to identify your own boundary in the first place and be like, hmm, okay, I'm triggered. And you name that for yourself and what that looks like. And then you tell them, and then they have the opportunity to respond however they're going to respond. And I think from there, you have all the information that you need to know on how to proceed. And you get to choose, you know, what that looks like for you. So I heard, um, I was listening to a podcast and they were talking specifically about boundaries. And she was talking about how her dad, um, after being around her kids for like two hours, would be really short and snippy with the kids. And so she said to herself, okay, well, I have the opportunity to A, talk to him about, you know, his response and how he's talking to my kids. Mm-hmm. Like, hey, dad, this is what's up. I don't like the way you do this. And I love you. And I know you love your grandkids. And we want you to have this relationship, but this cannot continue this way. And so that was the first blanket conversation. And from there, she decided, okay, so I can come over to visit or whatever but knowing that at two hours you get crazy at 90 minutes we gonna start wrapping it up you know what I'm saying so like not even giving him the opportunity to get to that point um or just not being a part of Mm -hmm. his lives and so there's different stages it doesn't have to be like it ain't nothing to cut that job it it ain't it ain't gotta be especially with family members because I know it's a delicate situation to be in like I don't have a problem with that. Um, I feel like you just said, you know, it's only one of me and you can choose to see the value of having me be a part of your life or not. And I'm okay with stepping away. Like I'm gonna do that for us. (laughs) I'm gonna do that for us. It's both of us. And I'm gonna go ahead and take that. I'm gonna take the hit. I'll be the Mm -hmm. best person to step away. I'll do the hard thing right? Because it's going to be harder for me to stay in relationship with you knowing that you're mistreating me or that I'm feeling mistreated. I'm just going to grow resentful and that's just right. it's up in my body ugly and, yeah. and that's not going to work for me. So um, there's always going to be like this progression of what that relationship looks like and you get to choose and you get to reevaluate, you know, because I have friends who have been estranged from their parents for years because of this sort of thing, this habitual line crossing or abuse, you know, verbal or otherwise. And, you know, that particular friend was like, you know what? No, you know, and then after years, that parent came around and realized that what they were losing with this certain behavior. Mm -hmm. And even if that behavior was present with other people, it wasn't going to be a part of this relationship, Mm -hmm. you know? So there there's nothing that says that reconciliation is impossible but there's nothing that says that that relationship has to stand either (laughs) so yeah absolutely and and I I agree with you like removing yourself doesn't have to mean it's permanent right it doesn't have you don't have to like you know, create a law in your heart, as my therapist says. She always says, you, mm-hmm. sometimes we, we create a law in our heart where we say, I will never do that again, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you don't have to say, I'll never talk to my mom again, or I'll never let my mother-in-law come over for a holiday. You know, that's, that's not true, probably, because <laughs> life is long. And you never know what somebody may come to you or how they may try to make amends or whatever. But it's saying, I'm removing myself right now until you figure find a way to respect my boundaries. Right. Um, and, and that might be a couple months. That might be a couple years. It might be forever. And it might be forever. 
Mm-hmm. I think too, um, for me, because I have had moments where I've completely been like, nope, done. Um, I had to come to terms in that moment that it was possible that the relationship would end right there. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, was I okay with it if I never, ever spoke to this person again? Mm-hmm. And if my answer was yes, <laughs> and I was okay with it, then anything that happened after that was like fine. You know what I'm saying? Like if reconciliation happened, then great. But at in this moment right here, I'm okay with a complete separation for the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. And that was, you know, that was just my decision. Mm-hmm. And at some point, I feel like, you know, you have to prioritize you because nobody else is doing that. That person certainly isn't if they're crossing your boundaries, mm-hmm. you know? So, yeah. 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 So thank you for that inbox report. Yeah. That's something that I don't think we did talk about boundaries at all. I mean, kind of, but not like explicitly talking about that as, a, as it pertains to relationships. I think that's important. Yeah. We definitely talked about some, but, you know. I think I'm very, very new in this here boundary game and I'm still figuring out, you know, what boundaries look like. I'm happy to share whatever knowledge I've gained and what I know, but I'm still working through that. Yeah. Myself. Same. I have always had boundaries, but I didn't always recognize them as such. And I certainly never expressed that to the people in my life. Like, oh, you can't do that. Or I don't like when you do that. I would just have a reaction and people wouldn't understand well, what I do. But I was on me though, because I didn't express, it wasn't fair mm-hmm. for me to have this expectation or these boundaries and not say, <laughs> you're crossing them. <laughs> right, right. Because at that point, it's just baggage. Yeah. yeah. But yep. yeah. That was a good one. Yes. Thank you for that. If you, know, you guys have anything else, then hop in our inbox and we will answer it on the show yes okay breast cancer yes <laughs> october is the breast cancer awareness month where we all think pink coincidentally i'm wearing pink tonight you are purpose that wasn't on purpose um at all and um We just have some quick information to give. We are not experts on this topic, Um, but yeah. So certainly a specialty in its own right. Yes. So um, we have a couple things to talk about as far as um, breast cancer and what that might look like, um, ways of detection and maybe prevention Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, and, and other ways that other breast problems that can show up that's not breast cancer mm-hmm. yeah so um let's start with basic your self um breast exam mm-hmm. right that's something that we should be doing every woman and i do not do it nearly as much as i should we should all be doing it every single month mm-hmm. yeah. um not when you're on your cycle, when you're on your period, you don't, you do not want to do when you're on your period, you want to do it like either the week before your period or the week after your period. Um, but every single month and I need to do better. (laughs) Um, and we should be teaching our daughters to do it 
as when they start menstruating. It should be once they go through puberty and they're starting to have a period every month, we should be teaching them and educating them how to do their own self-breast exams um, every month. And so um, I have a daughter <laughs> who is menstruating <laughs> and we haven't had that conversation. Mm. So me just saying that right now, like, I need to do better. So um, the self-breast exam is something that you can do in the shower. You can do laying down. You want to, whatever breast you're checking, you want to put that hand above your head and just palpate or feel with your hand, two fingers or four fingers, whatever, all around your breast, all of your breast tissue. We have women have breast tissue up in our armpits too. So you want to make sure that you're checking even into your armpit um, and you want to push deeply and make sure that all of your breast tissue feels the same, that it kind of feels similar on both sides. And then you even want to squeeze your nipple a little bit. And you want to squeeze the nipple to make sure that um, you don't have any like discharge that comes out or blood that comes out when you squeeze the nipple. Now, obviously, if you're lactating or if you're pregnant, um, that exam will be a little different because you might squeeze and get um, some discharge back. And your breast tissue will feel differently if you're um, pregnant or lactating as well. Um, but you know, you'll kind of get used to what that feels like. And if you feel anything that feels strange, um, obviously, um, we, everybody's breast feels different. <laughs> so, um, you, you may feel lumps in your breast and that could be completely normal for your breast tissue, but, um, a cancerous tissue or a, a, a um, a lump that is, yeah, cancerous, let's just say cancerous, will be um, firm and it won't be mobile. So if you feel lumps in your breast, but you can kind of move it around, then that is typically not um, cause for alarm. But if it's firm and it doesn't really move, then that might be cause for alarm. Mm -hmm. And then you also want to visually inspect. So once you get yes. out of the shower, um, stand in front of the mirror, and you raise your arms out to the side like a T and over your head and make sure that both of your breasts look equal on both sides. One may be a little bit bigger than the other, that's fine, that's normal. Um, but make sure that you take a look and see that both of them are moving, you know, kind of in unison or in sync. Yes. Mm -hmm. And as my OBGYN told me, your partner might notice. <laughs> a lump before you do because they touch your breasts more than you touch them yourself for the most part I mean we tuck <laughs> we touch our boobs to put them in our bra make sure our nipples are even and that's pretty much it <laughs> so, yeah. if you don't have a padded bra oh you out here just just looking all cockeyed you don't yeah so your partner would notice maybe before you so these are good things to teach your partner um about what to look for especially that whole making sure they're even and like symmetrical thing because um that that could be a really good um discovery if if things start to change mm -hmm. yeah I did learn that too and I wonder about that during my breastfeeding journey you know mm -hmm. as babies get bigger they tend to get more tactile. So they're like doing this whole sandwich thing, like mm -hmm. with your breasts and they do a lot of kind of massage or whatever to get the milk to come mm -hmm. out, you know, whatever. So I, I was thinking about that. Like, I wonder how, how many babies be like, this ain't right. Oh, look, mama. 
on, mom. <laughs> Hold on. What's this, this right here? This yeah, right. that's funny. Well, <laughs> you know, at breastfeeding past a year, uh, they probably certainly would notice something that felt different, you know, and be able to express that to you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I was going to say that kind of leads to like we talked about breast cancer and that's what this shift is about. But there's other breast problems that mm-hmm. are not cancer. And I think um, a lot of women have fears around discovering breast cancer. So like if there's anything else that's off about your breast, it could be that it's not breast cancer, y'all. So um, just relax for one. But you could have breast pain, mm-hmm. not cancer. A lot of times um, around my my period, I would notice that I would have tender breasts or have shooting pains in my breasts. Um, one thing to note is that breast cancer, unless it's like super duper far advanced, is not usually painful. Okay. Unless it's super far advanced, you usually do not have a lot of pain with it. So um, you can have cysts in your breast, which is like a fluid filled sac, usually benign. Um, you can have an abscess, a breast abscess where, you know, you've developed an infection or something somewhere in the breast tissue that could be really painful. Mastitis, mm-hmm. if you're lactating a clogged duct or things like that. Um, so those are other breast problems that aren't necessarily breast cancer. You can even have a lump in your breast that's not malignant or not cancerous Mm -hmm. so it's important for you guys to make sure that you are getting familiar with your body that's the whole point in doing your self-breast exam regularly and usually around the same time so that you know like oh okay this is what my breast tissue feels like okay so like I use an app to um, plot out my period and I go into that app every every day that I have my period or what have you, and it gives a notification the last day or the ne- the second to last day of your period, like after everything is done, like, hey, girl, time for a self-breast exam. You know, now, admittedly, I could be better <laughs> about that. And then I am 40, so I'm getting to the age where I need a baseline mammogram and yeah. all of those kind of things, which we can talk about that, I guess, now. Yeah. The recommendation is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so no, you hit it right there. Um, The recommendations for getting a mammogram, and just so that we're all clear, a mammogram is a diagnostic test um, to screen women um, for for breast cancer. And um, so the age to start, the recommended age to start getting a mammogram is 40. And unless you have a family history, yeah. unless you have a family history, if you have a family history, we go down 10 years, which is so you would start thinking about getting, <clears throat> excuse me, getting um, a mammogram at age 30. However, if you have a family member who got, um, okay, let's start here. So if you have a family history, then you want to start getting a mammogram at 30, but you need to be starting to talk about your breast and possibly getting like MRI imaging around age 25. Unless you have a family member who had breast cancer, like a a direct um, maternal, typically it's a maternal blood relative. So like an aunt or your mom or your grandmother who had a breast cancer at a younger age than that, younger than 40, 
then they go down 10 years from the age that that person got breast cancer when you should start getting um, a mammogram. So for example, if your maternal, <clears throat> excuse me, aunt got breast cancer at age 35, then you might very well start getting mammograms at age 25. Um, and they can, there's also other things they can do, right? Like they can um, draw your blood to see if you have certain um, gene mutations that would make you more highly susceptible to getting breast cancer. Um, but they could also just start doing the breast, um, the mammograms at, at 10 years prior to whatever age the onset of your family members, your relatives' breast cancer was. Mm -hmm. um, other ways to diagnose too would be an ultrasound. Yes. If they do find a lump and then biopsy from there. Yes. So there's, you know, a different kind of progression of steps and then treatments too after that, you know, if you have a malignant tumor or something like that in your breast that range from just taking the lump out, whatever it is, um, after staging and all of that stuff, taking the lump and maybe some lymph nodes, taking the whole breast, you know, or taking both breasts. Mm -hmm. All of those different kind of steps um, can be taken to ensure your survival. Um, I will say, I think the number now is one in five women or one in eight it's for breast cancer? Ten. Yes, mm. it's less than 10 that received the diagnosis in a lifetime. But there's so much research about breast cancer specifically that the survival rate is like 85%, something like that is through the roof. It's not that high for Black women. For Black women, Black women are 60% more likely to die than white women um, who get a diagnosis for breast cancer. So, so um, related to that, Black women are typically diagnosed earlier in life. So um, under 40 or under 35 even. Um, but the last data I saw, white women are still like the rate of um, getting it or diagnosis is still higher, but not not by much, mm -hmm. like one percentage point off. Um, so while Black women get it earlier, it's probably a more aggressive form. It is. So we do get it younger. I'm going to say younger opposed to earlier, because when I think of earlier, I think of the diagnosing being earlier. And white women are actually more likely to be diagnosed earlier in terms of staging of cancer. They mm -hmm. typically get a diagnosis in like stage one or two. Mm -hmm. and because black women are more likely to get an aggressive form, typically the, the diagnosis is later, along with other factors, right? Like Right. We may be less likely to have insurance. We also may be less likely to know about our family history because mm -hmm. there's some kind of healthcare shame that happens in the Black family where we don't talk about things that we've been through. We don't talk about the fact, you know, you just know your auntie died or she was real sick. She was losing mm -hmm. weight. We knew she was sick. We didn't know specifically that she had breast cancer. Mm -hmm. um, and we need to stop doing that because I feel that it is our children's and our grandchildren's right to know <laughs> what is loaded on their DNA <laughs> so that they can take steps, right? So that they can be proactive and, and be, a, be have the privilege to talk to their physicians starting at age 25 if they know they come from a, a lineage of, of, of women who have had breast cancer. Um, and so for whatever the reason, many reasons, um, Black women are more likely to get diagnosed later in the game 
Mm-hmm. And so not only do they have a more aggressive form of breast cancer, like you said, but we get diagnosed later. And so the treatments, obviously, like with anything else, the treatment is, is more difficult mm-hmm. if you get diagnosed later, because that means it's not just in your breast. That means it's spread to other parts of your body. And so now we're not just chasing it in your breast. We're chasing cancer, which is one of the fastest growing cells on the planet. We're chasing it all over your body. Right. Right. Um, Another thing that may put you at risk too is um, not having children. Yes. Not breastfeeding. Mm -hmm. And well, not having children and not breastfeeding. Right. Yeah. I'm saying both. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yes. So um, those are things that we should all keep in mind. I did read that shortly after giving birth, your risk for breast cancer goes up because of the change in your breast tissue. And what I mean by that is that if something was already, um, what do they call it? Like a, um, not a malignant cell, but what's the word? What's the word I'm looking for? Help me. (laughs) A mutated cell. Mm. If you already had a mutated cell and your brain tissue is changing, then your brain tissue will change uh, in the form of that that mutated cell. Um, So that's why your risk kind of goes up after you have a child. But if you have children later in life, it's kind of the same thing. However, women who have one child or more after 10 years, their risk is decreased overall, like over someone who never had children before. And Ryan, you want to talk about the breastfeeding X, the part of it, like the beneficial parts of breastfeeding? Yes. So, I mean, I always tell people it's, it's, you know, (laughs) simply put, that's what your breasts are for. Right. And so to have a child and your body go through this process of making milk, because it does that, whether we as people choose to breastfeed or not, your body understands that you had a baby, so it makes milk. So for you to suppress that and not to use your breast breasts for what they're for, it makes sense that um, you'd be at an increased risk of getting breast cancer because you're telling your body to do something that goes completely against what you know it was meant to do. Um, I believe that the data about breastfeeding um, shows that for every I can't remember. I know this is terrible. It's either every year or every two years that you breastfeed, you cut your risk in half. Two. Every two years, you cut it in half. So that was something that was really important for me because um, one of my aunts, um, on my dad's side, actually, so the risk is not that great for me because typically the risk is higher if it's on your mom's side, on your maternal side, um, had uh, breast cancer. And so when I learned that I could (laughs) reduce my risk by breastfeeding, of course, I come from a breastfeeding family, but that alone, if if outside of anything else, just to know that I could reduce my risk of for breastfeed, I mean, by breastfeeding, um, that made all the difference in the world to me. And it mattered to me. And um, that's something that I think that, that I don't think it, I know that we don't talk nearly enough about. And when we talk about breast cancer, um, protection or breast cancer, um, you know, health and wellness. We, we won't, we don't talk anything about breastfeeding. It's something that's very rarely brought up in the conversation, um, is the protective factors that breastfeeding can bring to protect, especially black women. Mm-hmm. If we, if we're getting the most aggressive forms, if we're getting diagnosed yeah, later, 
or younger. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What is that? Yeah. We're, and we're, yeah, and we're getting diagnosed younger. Mm-hmm. Yes. Then, I mean, that's something that's something that seemingly easy on the scale of things to do that you can do. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not saying that breastfeeding is easy by any means because it's not, but it might be easier than the things that you might have to go through in the event that you become diagnosed with breast cancer. Right. And the time um, spent breastfeeding is cumulative. So yes. it's not just, okay, about I have to breastfeed one child for two years. No, right. like if you have multiple children and you breastfeed them each for a year, that time adds up in your benefit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is cumulative. Thank you for pointing that out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, so other ways of decreasing our risk, since that's where we are, we talked about breastfeeding, um, self-breast exams as, you know, a preventative mm-hmm. um, method, but other ways of decreasing our risk, the obvious, diet and exercise, <laughs> stress reduction, you know, those three things are probably like, take your risk down to little or nothing unless you have like the BRCA gene, which like the mutation that runs really strong in your family. But I think it's important to know that most breast cancer cases are like the first family member, like most breast cancer cases. Sporadic, yeah. Yeah, do not have a family history of breast cancer. So don't take for granted that if you don't have anybody in your family who's been, um, plague that you're safe Mm -hmm. because most of the numbers come from you know people who don't have this family so a good diet ryan has talked about this before more fiber than fat more fiber than sugar more fiber than pretty much any other everything yeah any other um nutrient macro micronutrient that you could find um, high fiber diet really does fight disease and inflammation in your body. Um, and other things that fight inflammation in your body is stress reduction or management mm-hmm. in some way. So try to find a self-care routine and whatever that looks like, you know, it, it might be a dance party or a deep breathing as soon as you wake up in the morning or 10 stretches or whatever that looks like. It doesn't have to be anything extreme. I love grounding. I'm not really an outdoor kind of person, but when I do go outside with my baby, cause she loves to be outside, I'll take my flip flops off and just stand on the ground for a little mm-hmm. while. Um, which has like been shown scientifically to increase the, the um, fluidity of your blood cells and increase blood flow and decrease inflammation and clotting. So and it's something that our people have done since the beginning of time. Mm-hmm. It's like recharging yourself to the source, you know, to, yeah. So um, also to, to, to continue on with what you were saying about diet and exercise is not only is diet and exercise a good preventative measure, it also will help you to fight, right? If you come, if you start in a good, healthy place, right? You're more likely, your body is is already ready. It's charged, it's ready to go, it's healthy. It's more, it's stronger to fight. Mm -hmm. So you're in a a better position to win. 
if you if you come to the starting line with a healthy body, with a body, a diet that's, you know, like I said, more fiber than fat, if you've, you know, your muscles are strong, your your bones are strong, you're in a you're in a better position to win. So yeah. I think that's important for us to keep in mind, especially when we think about the fact that a lot of times it's sporadic. You may not have a family history. So we every all of us should always be thinking about, you know. Um, energizing our bodies and make placing ourselves in a position to win because we don't know. know We don't know. Yeah. And then even um, for people who are like, well, if you undergo chemo and all of this stuff, then you usually have a better chance. Yeah, you do. But there are plenty of people who don't survive the treatment because it kills all the good, all the cells, the good and the bad. Mm -hmm. so like ryan said if your body is in better shape on the front end then you have a better chance of faring on the other side Mm -hmm. yeah yep yeah absolutely what else did you have this is kind Um, of a shorter episode you guys i didn't have a ton 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 of notes written down no that was really it i talked i mean we kind of the things i had we kind of like woke weaved beefed woved (laughs) Woven. woven. <laughs> they were woven. Bam. That's right. <laughs> yeah, you can choose a whole different tense. Yeah, I was gonna say weaved. We weaved them. I don't know. Either way, we they were woven into what we talked about. So I think it was really important. One of the big things for me, especially again in the black community, I'm gonna rehash it, is to share. Talk about your your history. Talk about if you knew um, something your great grandmother or your great aunt or your great grandfather experienced and went through what their history was. Pass that on because it's 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 on our DNA, and um, it it also helps us to heal when we do that because traditionally as um, African descendants of slavery, like our people were storytellers. That is how we shared information. That is how we shared all information is through storytelling. And so we lost that, that was stolen from us, um, you know, during the transatlantic slave trade. We weren't allowed to speak, we weren't allowed to talk to each other, we weren't allowed to speak in our language, right? And so that halted a lot of our history passing. And so to, to start telling our stories and to start sharing our history, even if it's our medical history, that helps us to heal as a people. And again, it, it gives our, the privilege that our children deserve to know what they may be up against or what what you know what could potentially be um like I said what is loaded on their DNA mm-hmm. yeah I love that that's called epigenetics <laughs> and I love epigenetics because um you may even have the privilege of looking back in your lineage and seeing what you yourself have single-handedly reversed or erased from your DNA, from your story that was a result of enslavement, you know, within our culture. And yes, like Ryan said, if you have access to people who have the stories, <laughs> ask them, you know, and Get not at funeral. Because that's usually when you find out about stuff is at someone's funeral and everybody's sitting around telling stories about this person who has since gone. Um, just real quick, another thing about the work that I'm doing with Mind Body Medicine, we do genograms, which is like a family tree. And we have the opportunity to go back and look and see what patterns and stuff like that that we have going on. And when I was doing my genogram this time around, I realized that I didn't know the names of my great grandparents. 
well, my mother is still alive. You know what I'm saying? So I text her, hey, <laughs> what's my great grandparents' names? Like, why is this like the top of my um, genogram? And I've done many genograms and it never even occurred to me to just ask her mm-hmm. what that was, you know, or, or what that history, what, what part of that am I missing that I may want to go back and get later that I can now share with my daughter, you know, so yeah, ask your people, have conversations, don't be afraid to talk about it. I was thinking about that too, like maybe in, in one shift, we can talk about death and why there's such um, taboo around people talking about death and what are your wishes and. when your time comes? Yeah, what are your wishes? Do you have insurance? What You know what I'm saying? And we are so reluctant to have those conversations out of fear that what is just going to bring it on? Well, newsflash. It's coming. <laughs> Hopefully way later, but yeah. eventually your number going to be up. Yeah. You know? So it's, it only makes sense that we do have these conversations um, and do it for the people coming after you. You know? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. That's all I have. Same. If you guys have any questions, comments, or concerns, I haven't been looking on Facebook. It's really late. So, so it I don't is. Know. Yeah. We don't have any comments right now. I'm on here. No comments, no questions. Okay. Um, you guys, um, if you're listening to this later, we appreciate you listening. Upcoming, we will be talking about financial wellness. Again, in the past, we have discussed this topic and it feels more relevant now, just in the time that we're in in a pandemic, it's a lot of economic shifts happening. We're about to go into an election. It's a lot happening financially um, in the world, um, in our nation and within a black community. And I think it's time for us to have some financial literacy conversations that are going to elevate us as a people um, and not just in pockets. So we'll be talking about um, financial literacy and financial wellness coming up. If you guys have any questions, comments, or concerns about that, please yeah. let us know so that we can cover your questions. We're going to have some guests on. Yes. We're very excited. <laughs> um, a few money gurus, stock people. Um, but I feel like there's some untapped knowledge there. The guys who are coming on are really market people. But I think there's some untapped knowledge there as far as the wellness of our community and how to really um, make some some money moves in our community. Yeah. <laughs> um, not that, really. Yeah, that doesn't necessarily involve getting into the stock market because you may not be there yet. Um, but yeah, so guess the date is 705 at gmail.com. Send us your questions, comments, or concerns. Follow us on any platform, conscious underscore sedation on Insta and Twitter. Just look up Conscious Sedation Podcast on Facebook and on any podcast platform we can be found. Um, Follow us, subscribe, like, hit the thumbs up. Share. Share, engage with us. We love you. Yes. Definitely hope you guys ask some questions um, for our next shift when we talk about financial wellness, because I mean, we have our own questions, but we want to make sure that we're asking questions that are on everybody's level and that Mm -hmm. are able, like you said, as you know, as a collective, Mm -hmm. we want to make sure that we're able to anybody who tunes in, anybody who listens um, is able to get little nuggets to, to help to boost ourselves up on the ladder of financial wellness. I know one thing I'm excited to talk about is I have been hearing whispers, right? (laughs) 
about my retirement and how I need to really get a lot more aggressive about saving for my retirement. I know, you know, we talk all the time, we hear, we hear people talking about social security is not going to be there, right? And all these different things. And so I have lots of questions about that. Um, I got lots of questions about um, college funds, you know, and like, <laughs> so I'm excited about it because I'm old, er, and I need to be, <laughs> I need to be taking, you know, that those, 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 not the end of my life, but what my golden years, I guess, mm-hmm. take it seriously because I, I need to be preparing for that now. It's, it's going to be here. I'll blink and, and it'll be here. Right. And I want to, in 20 years, I want to be working because I want to be working, not because I have to be working. Right. Yeah, exactly. I think for me, um, the thing that's kind of like on my heart, I was talking to one of my best friends about this. I have kind of ventured into this life coaching realm or whatever, and financial wellness or financial literacy is mm-hmm. one of the areas that I kind of can coach people into. But I think that in a in a place where we are just in survival mode, it's very, very difficult to look to the future as far as setting up financial wellness and goals for your family and then being able to try and teach your kids because you don't Mm -hmm. even know. So it's like a hard knock life kind of thing. So what I'm thinking is from surviving to thriving to strive, no, surviving to striving to thriving. Yeah is kind of like the setup. And I definitely want to talk about like, what do you do in these different stages? What, mm-hmm. what do you do if you're just surviving? Mm-hmm. What does your financial picture look like if you're in that stage? If you're thriving, what should you be doing? If You know what I'm saying? Right. Because every everybody's picture looks really different. Absolutely, yeah. In those times. And we could talk about what to do with your money all day, but if you ain't gotten in, Right. And, and yes. And, and ooh, this is so good. <laughs> but yeah. sometimes it helps. Sometimes it helps to have somebody else look at your money. Yeah. Right. Because I can be looking at my money all day and I can only see what I can see. Yeah. But sometimes somebody else will take a look at your money and be like, oh, but you got five dollars here. You can invest. You got you got these three dollars right here. That that matters. You can put that in the savings account or whatever. Right. right. So I think I'm excited. I think that's why I said I hope they send questions. I hope you all send questions because Um, We want to make sure that we are asking appropriate questions and discussing things for everybody at at all those levels you talked about, Tasha. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So I'm super excited about, like, I'm on fire about that. Recently, I really just felt pulled to that area. And I'm like, I'm not a financial expert in any way. I don't have all the answers, but I have a whole lot of questions and I know who to ask them. I know you to ask them too. Like, okay, are you doing this? Okay, go do that you know, so mm-hmm. yeah, I, yeah. Really so. That. I definitely see a need for that in um, our career. I feel like nurses can be spendthrifts because we really don't have a ceiling <laughs> if we're not salaried. And so um, uh, financial discipline is something that escapes a lot of us. Um, and yeah, because <laughs> we know how many shifts it takes to go on a vacation or to buy a Birkin or <laughs> Instead of budgeting for the vacation on a mm-hmm. we'd be yep. like, yeah, we're going to go ahead and put this on a credit card and then pick up X amount of shifts. And if yep. I work this much overtime and it'll be covered, but yeah. Yeah. But yeah. All right, people. Hopefully you guys watch this replay. It will be uploaded. Ryan, good job. She remembered to hit record <laughs> and think about it. 
<laughs> so maybe halfway through. So yes, girl. I told you I got my little mm-hmm. my little note. <laughs> That's a good it job. Lives on my printer. Mm-hmm. Yes. I enjoyed you, Tish Tosh. Same. It's it feels good to be back. Yes. And, you know, the rest felt good too, but it's good to see your face and just chop it up a little bit. Absolutely. Yeah. All That's right. all we got for y'all. Yeah. Peace out. Peace out. <laughs> Bye.